If you will join me this morning in Psalms 42 and 43, it's page 469 in your blue ESV Bible if you're using one of those from the seat back. Psalms 42 and 43, the title of our sermon this morning is A Downcast Soul, and our keywords for our worshipers in training are depression, spiritual, and soul. Today, we are beginning a new short series that's going to take us through the end of January before we pick up in another book of the Bible. This series is called The Downcast Soul, and we will be considering what Martin Lloyd-Jones called spiritual depression or what the Dutch Reformed called spiritual desertion. After a decade of pastoral ministry and having been a Christian for many years myself, I'm profoundly aware of the reality of spiritual depression in the lives of God's people. There are many godly saints who have done wonderful things for the kingdom of God who have walked through very dark days of the soul. Some of them have even struggled to find relief even up to the very last day of their life on earth. Martin Lloyd-Jones did a series much like this when he preached at Westminster Chapel in London and he was introducing his series and he said, it is interesting to notice the frequency with which this particular theme is dealt with in the Scriptures. And the only conclusion to be drawn from that is that it is very common as a condition. It seems to be a condition which has afflicted God's people right from the beginning. For you find it described and dealt with in the Old Testament and in the New. That in itself would be sufficient reason for drawing your attention to it, but I do so also because it seems in many ways to be the particular trouble with many of God's people and the special problem troubling them at this present time. And brothers and sisters, I know most of you very well. I know some of you pretty well, and a few of you I'm hoping to get to know. But one thing I can say that I do know about all of us is that this is a problem that befalls us from time to time, some more than others, some in differing degrees. But I know that this very morning there are some here who find themselves in a state of spiritual depression. And I hope over the next few weeks that that God's Word will be a sweet healing balm to your soul as we seek together to have greater communion with our God. I'm praying that this would minister to each of us in such a way that we will find great joy, that we will find peace, we'll find great comfort from the Scriptures as we diagnose and, and seek to find remedy for spiritual depression. Now, in many ways, depression as we know it, the sadness and darkness of mind and heart, it is inseparable from what we are considering more specifically as the spiritual aspects of having, as the Psalms call, a downcast soul. It's difficult to make a distinction between the two, and it really seems to prove unhelpful to try and do so. In my opinion, who we are and how we think and feel is deeply spiritual. And while there may be cause to consider physical factors that could be involved in something like a person's depression, we still must consider our hearts before God. We never get away from that. 
What is at the center of those times in our lives when we feel spiritually abandoned by God? What's going on when we feel far from Him and He feels far from us, or so it seems? What can we make of seasons in life when we have a lack of desire for the Word of God and prayer? This morning we will look at the nature of a downcast soul, but in the weeks ahead we're going to consider the causes and also explore some of the possible remedies. And my prayer for us is that we would be encouraged, that we would be equipped uh, throughout uh, this series from God's Word to either begin to see some light in a darkness that maybe you are existing in right now, or as some of us uh, may need, that we would have some preparedness as perhaps we may at some point enter into that time of our lives. I believe very strongly that the Word of God answers our questions that we have in dark days of the soul. So we're going to spend two months seeking answers from God that will give us what we long for, that we might walk more patiently, more sweetly, and more satisfying in our communion with our great God. So our text this morning is two different psalms, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Now, many scholars believe for various reasons, and I tend to agree with them, that these actually were written as one psalm or song. I think that's very true. So I want to begin by simply reading through these two psalms, and then we will come back and consider several aspects of the psalms pertaining to spiritual depression. So we begin in Psalm 42. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. 
For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. Now, in the full collection of the Psalms, Psalm 42 begins what is called Book 2. And Psalms 42 and 43 are the first of what we call the Korite Psalms, which is a collection of psalms that are specifically associated with professional musicians who were called the Sons of Korah. Now, these sons of Korah were Levites, and they were the temple singers. King David put them in charge of the service of song in the temple, and they also served as gatekeepers and bakers of sacrificial cakes. So these, uh, these, these uh, particular psalms are called a maskal, which is a musical term. And most likely, it means it was a song written that was intended to enforce some kind of lesson or wisdom on piety. So all of that to say that this would have been a temple song intended to teach something to the people of God. Now, we're going to look at the details of the text this morning. We're going to do that by asking three simple questions that will set our foundation for our series moving forward. We're, going to, we're not going to look at all of the verses in order, but we're going to bounce around a bit from both psalms. So keep your Bibles open and follow along. The first question that we need to ask this morning is, what is a downcast soul? What is a downcast soul? Three times in these two psalms, we see the same question being raised. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? We see that in 42, verse 5 and 11, and in 43, verse 5. Another way that this could be stated is, why must I be so sad? Where does it come from? What is it? What can be done about it? Now, throughout our series, I'm going to be working from this description of what a downcast soul is. A downcast soul is the result of our minds and our hearts being in such a state as a result of any number of circumstances as to feel as though God is far away, unconcerned, and not listening to or answering our prayers. Those with a downcast soul are most readily identified by their lack of zeal for the things of God, and particularly His Word, prayer, and His people. And the downcast soul is, uh, is a person who grows weary in doing good unto others, often not wanting to be around other believers not wanting to speak of the things of God, and often considering themselves whether or not they are even Christians at all. Charles Spurgeon once said, we are different, each one of us, 
But I am sure there is one thing in which we are all brought to unite in times of deep sorrow, namely, in a sense of helplessness. And we will surely get this sense throughout the Psalms, the sense of helplessness and longing for something that seems unfound. Our psalmist feels the abandonment of God. He's, he's aching. He's longing for a true felt presence of God in his life like he once had. You see that in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He even identifies that even sitting for a meal hasn't brought any relief, just more weeping. And the people around him keep asking the same question he's asking. Where is your God? In verse 4, he's he's looking to his past. He's longing for times of great worship and nearness to God that he had in the temple. He's lonesome, not only for God, but for the people of God. As he was near to God, he was near to the people of God, and his soul was filled with with great delight, but now it seems so distant. He longs for the times when his worship was sweet and fulfilling. He longs for the times when, when he was with God's people and they felt so dear to him and his heart was so bound up with theirs in worship and service because it was then that he had no question of God's nearness to him, of God's love for him, of God's mercy and God's grace in his life. But now, but now it's, it's a memory of the past. It's something that his aching soul is desperately longing for and he seems to not be able to get to that place again. The literal meaning of downcast is is bowed down. If you can imagine, some of you this will be more difficult to imagine than others, but if you can imagine sprinting as hard and fast as you can until you feel like your legs are going to give out and your lungs are going to explode. And at the end of that burst of speed and effort, the only thing you want to do is is bend over with your hands on your knees, feeling like you just want to fall over, desperately wanting to catch your breath, to get some air in your lungs. It's so painful, you just want it to end. That may be just from walking up the stairs for some of you, I don't know. But this is the picture of the downcast soul. It's tired. It is desperate. It wants to give up. It's painful. It just wants to know that there's an end in sight, that this pain, this loneliness, all of it, maybe there's an end in sight. For the downcast believer, there's a roaring going on inside of them, as Jeremiah describes, like the, lo- the roaring of the waves of the sea. It will not be calmed. He cannot concentrate to read or to pray. He doesn't want to meet or, or talk to people, sometimes leading to wanting to avoid church and the fellowship of the saints all together. And of course, the more one is able to pray, the more one is able to read God's Word or focus on the preached Word That is what would help, and yet, he's pulling away from God's people. And the deeper they sink into the darkness of desperation, 
This person often thinks that God has abandoned them. And oftentimes those who seek to give counsel don't actually help. They can be like Job's friends, heaping false guilt associated with false conclusions that real Christians just don't have downcast souls. But the truth is the Bible deals with the presence and the reality of the depression of the soul more realistically than many of the popular, popular books from Christians in psychology today. The psalmist here is a great example. We can just as easily consider David or Moses or Hannah or Jeremiah or Timothy or Elijah or Job, all of them in some sense give evidence in the Scriptures of times when their souls were downcast. And and with all of them, we see some obvious indicators of this. Some of them could even be described as being deeply and profoundly depressed. Does this describe you, dear brother or sister? Are you begging God for rescue and hoping for relief in your life? Is your life with God barren and cold and very different from what you've known as a sweet nearness to our Father? If so, I know you have a lot of questions in your heart, and they swirl around. Sometimes they are nearly tormenting you. Sometimes they're weakening you even more because you feel ill-equipped to even carry on. But most of all, you continue to ask the second question I want us to consider this morning. Has God forgotten you? Look again in verse 3 of Psalm 42. His enemies say, where is your God? In verse 9, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And in verse 10, again, his enemies say, where is your God? You can hear the agony in his questioning. Is God no longer trustworthy? Have I been abandoned? Even in verse 7, deep calls to deep as the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. My God, you've almost drowned me. My troubles have been like mighty waves rolling over me. And they have been sent by you, O God. Why have you forsaken me? There was a man in the 18th century named William Cooper. He's been a tremendous blessing to the church. He was a poet and he was a hymn writer. And he was able to write thousands of hymns in his lifetime that have, have, those songs have endured through the ages. We sing several of them here on a regular basis. Songs like, There is a fountain filled with blood and God moves in a mysterious way. And while Cooper is most well known for his hymn writing, what many don't know is that he spent his entire life, seemingly since almost his birth, in a near constant state of having a very downcast soul. One of the things about Cooper that is both hopeful and sad to me is that Cooper understood and deeply believed what the Bible says is true. And he even had an experience of grace in his life when he became a Christian in his early 20s. In his journals, he describes that as being one of the few experiences in his life when he felt the warmth of the sun on a cold day, 
when he knew that something wonderful had happened in his life, and yet it wasn't very long after that until he was again writing of his despair and his hopelessness in life, but now with a very clear understanding of the Scriptures. Throughout his life, Cooper attempted suicide at least four different times. And after each attempt, he was filled with more guilt, this overwhelming sense of guilt, recognizing his sin, recognizing the displeasure of his sin in the eyes of God. And he lived his life as a sad and broken man, even, even sent at one point by his father to live in an insane asylum. Now there's another man, many of you are familiar with, John Newton. John Newton was the author of the song Amazing Grace. <clears throat> John Newton befriended William Cooper in an attempt to encourage him and pastor his soul often visiting with him, keeping regular correspondence with him through letters. But in one of Cooper's letters to Newton, Cooper wrote this. He wrote, Loaded as my life is with despair, I have no such comfort as would result from a supposed probability of better things to come were it once ended. You will tell me that this cold gloom will be succeeded uh, by a cheerful spring and endeavor to encourage me to hope for a spiritual change resembling it, but it will be lost labor. Nature revives again, but a soul once slain lives no more. My friends, I know, expect that I shall see yet again. They think it necessary to the existence of divine truth that he who once had possession of it should never finally lose it. And I admit the solidity of this reasoning in every case but my own. And why not in my own? I forestall the answer, God's ways are mysterious, and he giveth no account of his matters, an answer that would serve my purpose as well as theirs that use it. There is a mystery in my destruction, and in time it shall be explained. Do you understand what he said? Cooper is affirming the Bible's teaching of the perseverance of the saints. In other words, Cooper believes that God would cause all who are Christians to persevere in the faith, that none would lose their salvation, no one would fall away from God, but all who were in Christ would remain with Him and be received into glory. But what else does he say? He says, I admit the solidity of this reasoning. I know that's true. I believe that's true in every case but my own. You see, he's not arguing that God didn't save him. He knows that he did. But he's disputing that the truth of what he knows about Scripture applies to him. In his mind, he was the lone exception in the universe. He's a reprobate, even though once he was an elect. And he even answers the question that any wise counselor would bring up. Why, William, why would you think such a thing? And he, he answers that, anticipating that. He says, God gives no account for it. We'll just have to wait and see why. He was abandoned, he thought, by God. Cooper's life was and still is such a blessing to so many of God's people, and yet his life was so tragic in that he felt most of his life abandoned and dejected by God. 
Now, thankfully, on better days, he recanted his statements about not being loved or accepted by God because he couldn't refute the truth of the Bible that he knew so well. But most of his life was lived in darkness. And as you look at his life, you can identify numerous circumstances that provoked what used to be called melancholy within him. And most likely, he suffered greatly from various things that at the time were unknown and untreatable. But, but was he a Christian? Yeah, I, I think that he was. We have every reason to believe that he was. But the Bible actually gives similar examples of this kind of life and this kind of thinking. One example is King David. Flip over to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 in verse 7. This is a psalm of David. And in verse 7 he wrote, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? And the obvious answer to the rhetorical question is, Nowhere. And yet, look at what he says in verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall overcome me, and the light about me be night. David's saying, my life is marked by darkness. It's all around me. He's in despair. He's feeling overwhelmed. He's feeling abandoned. The words of David and the words of Cooper, as you read through his journals, seem to run on parallel tracks. The light around me isn't light at all, it's darkness. Yes, it may be true that it's light for everyone else, but it's not light for me. But, if you're not careful, you miss this, and this is very, very important. And this is our final question I want us to ask this morning. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? Are you in despair? Are you feeling forgotten by God and alone, surrounded by darkness? Well, look, look at verse 12 of Psalm 139. David finishes his thought. Again, verse 11, he says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Pay attention to this. He goes on, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Do you see what he's saying? David's saying the issue is not objective, overwhelming darkness. In other words, David's acknowledging outright that his experience and his feelings and his thoughts about being abandoned by God surrounded by darkness, is not an objective reality, but it is a subjective sense that he has. In other words, he feels this way about God, but he knows it's not actually true. It is despairing feelings, and yet he answers, even though it's darkness to me, God, it, I know it's not darkness to you. Brothers and sisters, there may be darkness in the soul of a believer, and it may feel very real and very much a part of your life day by day, and it could be for a very long time. 
We may be downcast in painful and crippling ways, but what is dark to us is not dark to God. I've already mentioned Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century pastor of London known as the Prince of Preachers. Now, Spurgeon, too, was a man who spent most of his life in a state of spiritual depression. And he often wrote and even preached about it during one sermon He said, the road to sorrow has been well trodden. It is the regular sheep track to heaven, and all the flock of God have had to pass along it. It is interesting to me that Spurgeon saw this as something that not just a few saints experience, but that at some point in our lives, Christians, all of us, will trod the pathway of sorrows. And brothers and sisters, I think he's right. One of the best things we can do as a church and for ourselves and for one another and in loving our neighbors is to be honest about our souls, to be honest about our hearts and the condition in which we find ourselves. We will have sorrows in our lives. And sometimes it will seem overwhelming as it was with our psalmist, feeling like the waves are going over him. But the longing of the heart of the psalmist is, in so many ways, is is much of the remedy that is needed in times of despair. Remember what he wanted? He wanted wanted to be back with the people of God again. He wanted what he once had with God's people, hearing God's word, worshiping with them, being in the midst of the prayers of the saints, and yet he couldn't. In his case, he couldn't because he was in captivity. He was surrounded by his enemies. But brothers and sisters, we can. We can. We can find hope in the midst of having a downcast soul because we can turn to all that God has given us to warm our affections to him again and again and again. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have sorrows. We will. Sometimes they will be very dark. Sometimes it will be very difficult. But not all of our sorrows are bad. In fact, if we truly believe what the Bible says about God's sovereign care over his children and how he turns all that is wrong in our lives to bring him glory and do good unto us, we can rest assured that it may be very difficult, it may be very painful, but it shall be returned with great reward from the Lord. Do you know how an oyster creates a pearl? It does it with a grain of sand. That grain of sand is an irritant to the oyster. It's like a rock in your shoe. But it's grating it, it's rubbing it, it's irritating it, and the oyster responds to the discomfort by creating this smooth protective coating that encases the sand and, and provides relief, and the result is this beautiful pearl. And this is the way that God works sometimes in the life of a believer. There may be irritants. There may be things that come into our lives that are painful, that hurt, that seem constant and and incessant, and we can't get rid of them. But in time, in time, the Lord brings about something beautiful. He brings about something to be admired. This is the way of God in the life of a believer. 
And in the weeks ahead, we're going to consider various reasons for why the soul may be downcast within us. But one thing we can be sure of all throughout is that God is with us, that God is for his children, and any affliction that comes our way is to make known the glorious riches of his grace and to make us to become more like Jesus. In Psalm 43, we hear the heart of the psalmist's plea. He says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. And yet, as we've seen, he feels as though nothing is happening. But I want you to notice the end of Psalm 43 in the second part of verse 5. Remember, in in verse 5, he he has this repetitive question that this is the third time, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? He doesn't answer. He doesn't receive an answer to the question, but the psalmist is doing what you and I need to do day by day if we are to persevere in our communion with God. He preaches to himself. He reminds himself of the truth, even though in that moment, in that time, it doesn't feel true at all. See what he says to himself. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Notice that he never ceases to acknowledge that God is his God. Is the relationship strained? You bet. But God is his God. And he ends the psalm on a note of hope. And brothers and sisters, I want to direct us by God's grace through his word to a place of hope. We all will have dark days of the soul, but despite the ongoing struggle within and without us, we, like the psalmist, must must preach to ourselves, counseling our hearts that we must be sustained by hoping in God. There is much more that God directs us to. There is much more that God provides that is a great help to us. But when it comes to reminding ourselves daily and constantly of this truth, there is more, but there is not less. We must hope in God. And friends, if you do not know Christ, I commend him to you as a healing balm, a rest-giving Savior, a peaceful healer of your soul. The darkness of this world and all that pains us in this life may feel overwhelming and unassailable to you, but God has made a way in Jesus Christ that we can find rest and we can find hope because we need not worry and despair over that which lies ahead. If you trust in Christ, if you put all of your cares and all of your despair on him, he will give you life. You will not overburden him. He will not buckle under the pressure of your pains and your sorrows and sadness. He will bear it. And for all who are in Christ, he has already bore it. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. Friends, hope In God, he is our light, he is our salvation, he is our only hope. Brothers and sisters and friends, out of the depths of darkness, out of the pit of despair, our downcast souls can have hope, even when all else seems lost. 
Let us turn our hearts to God in prayer like our psalmist in in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 43. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Now you may be in a place right now as we're here of spiritual depression and your soul may feel broken and you may feel alone and abandoned by God, but blessed be our God who we can turn to and say, give me your truth. Lead me by your truth that I might once again be where I once was and where I so desire to be in you. Brothers and sisters, we serve a God who has promised that He is just as much for us and with us when we, by our faith, are moving mountains or when it's as minuscule as a mustard seed. You see, it's not not measured by the intensity or the magnitude of your faith that we might be brought safely to God. But it is... God, who in Jesus Christ has made you righteous in his eyes through the gift of faith, given unto you that you might hold unto him even when things seem as low as they can possibly go in your life. What is in your heart this morning? Are you coming here today saying, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? You're not alone. And I pray these next few weeks ahead will be a help to you. And along the way, may we be more and more of a people who say to each other and to ourselves, hope in God. Friends, if you do not know Christ, if you turn to him, you can hope in God. Brothers and sisters, hope in God. Nick Kennecott, hope in God. May we all hope in God that we might see light break up the darkness that surrounds us because while it may be dark to us, it is surely a bright light in the eyes of the God who calls us to hope in Him. Let's pray together. Father, we love You and we love Your Word. And we pray, O God, that You would give us what our hearts so often long for and what we desperately desire and need that we might truly and rightly hope in our great God. And I pray that for us as your people. I pray that for all who do not know Christ, that they too would hope in God alongside us, that we would be united together in casting all of our burdens and all of our cares upon our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray, O God, that the truth of your word would comfort the souls of those who are downcast. May it heal them. May it restore them, that they might know and be sustained by the joy of their salvation. And we ask you to do all of these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.